0: Welcome to Divorce Dialogues. I'm Katherine Miller. I'm the founder at the Miller Law Group and director at the Center for Understanding and Conflict, and I am on a mission to change how people divorce and help them divorce with dignity. And my guest today is Brian James. He's an experienced divorce and family mediator with offices throughout Chicagoland and southeastern Wisconsin. He started his mediation practice, CEL and Associates, in late 2005. By aiding his clients with the resolution of their divorce issues outside of the courtroom, Brian helps create win-win situations for all parties in a divorce. Welcome, Brian James. It's a pleasure to have you on Divorce Dialogues. Thank you. pleasure to be here. You know, one thing though, a lot of people are talking about these days when it comes to divorce is personality disorder and particularly narcissism. And a lot of people think that their spouse it must be a narcissist. And so uh, how can people know if they are actually married to a narcissist? What is a narcissist and how does it show up?
1: Narcissism is difficult. Yes, like you said, everybody when they're going through divorce thinks they're married to a narcissist. But a, a narcissist is a really select group of people that you don't really know you're married to one until you're trying to divorce them or doing things that, you know, they don't agree with. You know, a narcissist is great when you're trying to buy a car. They're working for you, you're working together, they're getting a good deal. But when a narcissist is against you, like in a divorce, that's when the truth comes out. Narcissists like to be in control. They love to be in control. They have to be in control. They isolate their spouses from other people, from friends, from family. They want to control. It's kind of like domestic violence. And unfortunately, narcissists don't change. You know, there is no pill. There is no therapy that is an end-all, be-all for someone that is a narcissist. Narcissists like to gaslight people. They like to get someone upset, and then pretend like, oh, I was just kidding. Like, you know, you look fat in that dress. Oh, I was just joking. You look beautiful. Or just saying things that are just ultimately disrespectful to their spouse. They criticize everything that you do. They make you feel bad, and then they try to apologize in a way. Kind of like in the cycle of violence, there's an event. They're apologetic. They give flowers, take you out to dinner, and then they're back to it again. When you're first dating or first married to a narcissist, you don't see any of that because they're courting you. They're being this grandiose person. But as things change and you're with them longer, a lot of times the truth comes out. And then it really comes out when people are going through a divorce. They try to pit you against other people. You're always the bad person. They have to be the one to make all the decisions. They have to be the ones
0: that anytime something needs to be done, it has to be what they want when people are getting divorced, if they think back to their first date, Ryan, they could see the reason they're getting divorced on that date. And and is there anything that people can see in the beginning that sort of is the maybe the other side of the coin? So you're you're describing the bad side yeah. of the coin when you're when you're getting divorced and that that I think you're indicating that there's a good side that can be very charming and attractive and seductive in the beginning is—is is that right? Am I getting that right?
1: Yeah. Yep. It, sometimes it's too good to be true. You're like, I can't believe how great this guy is. I can't believe this is happening to me. He's above and beyond every other guy I've ever been with. Now, that's a great thing. That's what everybody wants. But a narcissist—I mean, they do that to kind of like trap their victim, trap their prey. I hate to say it like that, but so it's if if things sound too good to be true, it may be if it probably is have a lot of, you know if they don't have a lot of friends, if they're a super type a personality that it's nice to open doors for somebody to be polite, but when they go above and beyond that, then you might have there might be a few red flags there sometimes it could be just someone who is trying to put on a good show because they like the person. So it's really hard to tell exactly, but it's little things here and there. You know, it's that niceness, but then like a little dig about something. It's like, wow, that came out of left field. That's a narcissist because that's how they start with things.
0: And it's really interesting. You talk about gaslighting, which I know comes from the movie, you know, Gaslight. But a lot of people <laughs> might not have seen that movie. And so, can you describe for the listeners what gaslighting is? Because it's so crazy-making when it happens, and I, and I—that's the, the whole point of it, right? And and I think that people really could utilize or use a real clear explanation of what that is and how it works and how it makes you feel. Oh, well, I would say it is this: they say
1: things or do things to cause you to doubt yourself, to cause you to question the things you do. And then you get upset and you get, you know, hysterical or you do this. And they basically work you up to a point where they're calm and cool and collective. And they're like, okay, look at this crazy person. Look at him or her. This is a little tiny topic that we're talking about. And look how bad they're blowing it up. You know, I'm not the problem. They are. So narcissists are able to remain level and flat. You know, most people can't do that. You know, a lot of narcissists, you know, I don't want to say they're emotionless, but they don't have that flux of emotions like people have, that grandiose, the super sadness. That's another thing you can notice with narcissists. You know, they don't have the normal emotions that people have. Stuff doesn't affect them like it affects other people. You know, a parent passing away, they're not ultimately sad about it. Something great happens. They're not overly excited. But when they're gaslighting somebody, and, and 99% of the time they know exactly what they're doing, they're getting that person to look like the one that's out of control, the one that's not rational, and they can just sit back and see, I told you so. It was never me. I've never done all this. All the stuff that he or she is saying about me is false because look at them. And it's very difficult to not fall into that, especially when someone is criticizing your character. Or critiquing your parenting, or talking about your family, and you feel that you have to defend them and react. But when you do in in a in a normal way, if you get heated or angry, they use it against you.
0: And my understanding about narcissists is they really don't have empathy, and and yeah. so where somebody else who is not afflicted with narcissism uh, might be able to feel. The pain that they're causing you, or feel remorse for. It's not that they don't feel remorse, but that they don't. They really just don't. It's not on purpose, is the thing. It's they're lacking the capacity to feel empathy, and and yep. so you know, I've said to some of my clients, it's like you know, asking someone you know without you know a right hand to use their right hand. It's like they don't have one. They can't do it. So it's very unpleasant dealing with them as you're pointing out in terms of if you're wanna if you're on the other side of anything, it's not really their fault in, in some way. No. What do you think about that?
1: It's weird to tell someone who's married to a narcissist that it's not their fault that you know, the other person's a narcissist. But but it's true. You know, it, it really is and that that total lack of empathy that inability to look at something from someone else's perspective because a narcissist, it's only their perspective that matters. You know, no one else's perspective matters because everyone else is wrong.
0: Right. You know, they just can't even if
1: someone's, it. Yeah. Even if someone says the exact same thing they do, they have to be the one to say it because it comes out of their mouth. It's better. It's sad. It's scary. And it's bad. You know, when working, I mean, you know this, when working with a narcissistic person, it's just sad to see it because those families Have so many problems because of the narcissism. And, you know, when you find out that you're married to a narcissist and what it is, you probably already have children together, you already have a family, and you're going to be stuck with this person probably for the rest of your lives. Even if you're divorced and have children together, you're going to be stuck with this person for the rest of your life. And getting divorced from them doesn't stop them from being a
0: narcissist, it just means you're not married to them anymore. You're not living in the same house. I'm Catherine Miller, and this is Divorce Dialogues. We're here on WVOX, 1460 AM, every other Wednesday from 5 to 530. And we're also available as a podcast wherever you listen to podcasts, as well as on the website, DivorceDialogues.com. And I'm talking today with Brian James, uh, an experienced mediator from the Chicago area, and we're talking about divorcing a, a narcissist, and particularly in mediation. So, Brian James, how can you deal with such a difficult person? Is mediation appropriate? And what are some ways if you are married to a narcissist how you can manage that person in the mediation process? So it it's tricky. <laughs> First you have
1: to you have to have the, the the knowledge of how to work with a narcissist. That, you know, understanding who they are. And understanding that, you know, when I'm working with and let's just not to be too general, but let's just presume most, most narcissists are men. So when I'm working with the couple, even if the wife says something that is appropriate, unless the husband is the one that says it, it doesn't matter. So, you know, mediation is about coming to good, equitable agreements, ones that are good for the kids, ones that have balance. But a narcissist has to feel that they're the ones that came up with the agreement. They're the ones that made the decision. So, you know, as a mediator, I can't work for the wife. I can't work for the husband. I work for both of them. But I do, I am able to help coach to help people get to a place of good agreement, but having the narcissistic person feel that they're the ones that made all the decisions, even though, you know, decisions were made between both of them. And that, and a lot of that is complimenting the narcissist on the agreements that they're reaching and the things that they're doing. I always tell myself, I play the ignorant one. I play the dumb one. And I'm fine doing that if it gets my clients to an agreement. But I I let the narcissist explain things to me that I already know to make them feel like, again, they know more than me, that they're smarter than me, that I can, you know, plant stuff in a mediation session that they then regurgitate as their own makes them feel better because they're the ones that came up with the agreement it gets difficult when a narcissist draws their line in the sand on something and refuses to budge because trying to reason with that person is not possible because they have no empathy they 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 don't have the ability to empathize and understand but narcissists also don't want to look bad you know a lot of narcissism you know they're that way to a spouse they're that way behind closed doors because they can be, you know, I start talking to my narcissistic clients like, Hey, if this doesn't work out, you guys are going to court and this is going to become public and this is all going to come out and what you could, you know, what you wouldn't agree to, you know, this and that. So it's, it's using my, basically my toolbox of skills. And these aren't things that I came up with. It's a lot of work with therapists and research and reading and, you know, new stuff comes out all the time on how to, Get a narcissist to agree to things that are good, but making them feel like they're the ones in control. And then to the other to the other person, it's letting them know that as long as the agreements are good ones, it doesn't matter who came up with them. Because I get some people, they're like, you know what? I don't want to agree with what he wants to do anymore. I don't want to do this. I'm getting divorced, and I'm like, well, but if, if you go through a divorce with a narcissist, it could be one of the worst experiences in your life if their narcissistic tendencies come out during the divorce process. So and they're going
0: to, I mean, they're going yeah, to, right? <laughs> yep,
1: that's who they are. They, can't, they, they can control it for a while, but once it comes down to it, they are who they are. The, the true narcissist is going to come out. And to me, I don't care who came up with the agreement, as long as it's good for their children and makes sense and is equitable, let him believe that he came up with every single agreement. Who cares if it's good for everybody and it's on paper and you're getting away from this person physically. And then it does require with a narcissist that you have very detailed black and white eyes dotted T's crossed agreements. So there is no gray area. And even with an airtight agreement, narcissists are going to still look for ways to continue to be narcissists to their ex spouse. The same things that they did when they were married to them, they try to do when they're not married because they have an intimate relationship with this person.
0: So, do you, you think do think, like, is, you know, is a good process for a mediator, for, for a narcissist? Some, yes.
1: Others, no. You know, with, within a session or two, you get some narcissists that aren't just, that are just not going to agree to anything because, you know, basically their spouse is divorcing them. So of course, their spouse is wrong. They've done nothing wrong, and they're just not going to agree to anything to hurt their spouse. And you usually know within a meeting or two if the person is going to agree to things, because I start with simple, easy ones that you know everybody should be able to agree to. And they start digging their heels in on the smallest stuff. You know, it's going to be something that may not work.
0: Like what? What would the? What would be a smaller agreement that um, they might dis- disagree with? You and- know, like
1: something like. You know, when I talk, when I talk to parents, I kind of like plant the seed. I, right? let's just say like with education. So I talk with parents about, you know, what, what grades their kids are in, what schools they go to, you know, are they pretty agreeable when it comes to, you know, a teacher gives homework? Are they working together? Are they doing this? And, you know, I get them to, you know, I get them to basically say everything that would make me think they're good co-parents and can have shared decision making. Mm -hmm. But then when I talk about, okay, let's talk about school and decision-making, should you have shared or slash joint decision-making or should one of you have soul decision-making? And if the narcissist says, well, I think I should have soul because of blah, 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 this, this, and this, and everything I do, that tends to lead me to believe that it's going to be a problem because they've already said, without me asking about soul versus, you know, joint or shared, that they believe they're both good parents. They are aligned with things. When it gets down to a black and white agreement, the narcissism comes back, and it's all about them. And how bad, you know, okay, well, she doesn't do this. She doesn't do that. I'm always the one doing homework. I'm always the one talking to the teachers. And I'm like, well, but five minutes ago, you just said that you work well together, and you guys both do homework with the kids. You know, it's so it's using their words that were positive a little bit against them. Because they don't like, you know, they don't like to be challenged, but they know when they say something, you know, I can use that information. But then you get narcissists, unfortunately, that will say, well, I never said that. I didn't say that. And, you know, when you're on a call with, you know, three people, I co-mediate, there's four people, and everyone says, yeah, you just said that five minutes ago, and they say, no, I don't, or no, I didn't,
0: then you know you might have a problem. I think that's good information. If you're just tuning in, I'm Catherine Miller, and this is Divorce Dialogues. We're here on WVOX 1460 AM every other Wednesday from five to five thirty, and also available as a podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. And I'm talking today with Brian James about uh, mediation and divorcing a narcissist. And Brian James, if people are interested in learning more about your practice or about you, how can they do that? The easiest thing to do is go to my website. My website is www
1: dot your divorce dot org or they can call me directly at 312 524 5829.
0: Great. That's really great information for people. So speaking to somebody who might be married to a narcissist and how can they survive mediation with a high conflict, narcissistic, or even an unwilling spouse? Unwilling spouse, mediation is not going to work.
1: If the narcissist, though it takes a lot more time to come to agreement, actually will end up agreeing to things, you just have to understand it's going to be longer than a typical mediation. You know, most people, like my clients, come to me voluntarily. So they already have the buy-in that they want to stay out of court to be civil. And we can mediate, you know, four sessions, five sessions and be done. But when someone's a narcissist, you know i got to say you almost need to double that or sometimes triple that is it better than going to court and litigating of course it is hands down it's much better but it it, it is work and you got to and you got to stay true to the course and you know and you need to, the person who's not the narcissist needs to stand up for the things they believe in and they need to stand their ground and that's where right now we, you know i've been doing everything by a zoom the last you know year and three months it helps because they're not in the same room together. They're not driving to my office together, or having to drive home together. They may be in the same house, but they're on separate computers in different rooms of the house so that, you know, it's harder for narcissistic behavior when they're not in the same room together, you know, that browbeating doesn't happen as much. And they're not then having to drive home after a meeting together. So I've found that, you know, with narcissists and high conflict domestic violence cases, Zoom has been good for clients like that because even though they're still the same people they are, they don't have the same hold on their spouse because they're not in a room physically with them.
0: Yeah, we found that too. I mean, you can always just close the laptop and that's very powerful, right? Yeah, it is. It is. Yep, it is. Yeah.
1: Yep, very and, and it very much so
0: yeah. So do you think that are most narcissists bullies? I mean, because a lot of the behavior that you're talking about sounds a lot like what we might think of in just general terminology as just being bullying behavior. It, it is bullying but it, it's that sense that they're always right and if someone
1: doesn't agree with them they're wrong you know there is no such thing as a spirited debate there is no respectful disagreement you know if you disagree with me you're now my enemy and and i've had people are narcissists that you know it's my fault i'm somehow sleeping with their spouse or i'm on the other spouse's side just because i'm not agreeing with them and then and then you know sometimes. I got to, you know, and I'm a male, and most narcissists are males. So it's not as bad towards me as it is towards their spouse. And I use that to my advantage, you know, kind of the guy to guy thing. You know, I can, hey, I can understand. I can empathize with you. Even though I know they can't empathize with me, I can understand that. But isn't this much better than going to court or having all this in front of a judge? You know, and and narcissists, you know, especially when they have kids, you know, they they're not going to say they don't love their kids. Of course, they love their kids. They don't understand them 100 percent because they don't have that empathy. But, you know, they're going to want to do things that are good for their kids more so because it's on paper and it looks good
0: mm-hmm.
1: versus it possibly being what they actually want. So, you know, narcissists want 50-50 parenting time no matter what, because that's what looks good. That they're not a lesser parent, even though maybe they haven't done a lot of parenting over the years. So sometimes you have to get a narcissist that if a 50-50 plan may not be in the children's best interests. to get them to see that where they're the ones that come up and say, you know what, I don't think it's in my kid's best interest that I have 50-50 time. I think it would be, I think it would be good if we did this. And then, lo and behold, it's an agreement that's good, but it's the narcissist who came up with it which gives them what they want, it gives the other spouse what they want, because that's the agreement they wanted in the first place, and then you can move on to the next thing.
0: You know, it's really interesting, because we've been talking about narcissism and mediation, and I want to talk a little bit before we finish about uh, strategies to persuade a spouse to try the mediation process but in my experience, uh, mediation can actually be better for some narcissists because exactly what you're talking about, Brian James, where they get, it gets to be their idea instead of being forced to do it. And I think that sometimes people who are married and divorcing a narcissist, they're tired, they're done. Like, I am done doing what you think is right. And that's not a great attitude to take when you're trying to negotiate a divorce settlement, because I'm not saying that you need to do what you don't want to do. I'm saying what you need to do is let, and what you're saying, I think is let them come up with the idea and work with the narcissist and not against it because a narcissist who you're working against, it can be a complete scorched earth approach. If you're not going to do it my way, then we're going to just blow through all our sources that we have and torture kids just because I need To do this my way, am am I wrong about that? No,
1: one hundred percent. That going through divorce is the worst time to decide to stand up. (laughs) It it just—it's never going to go well. It never does. It never will. It—you have to play into them. Keep them calm. Keep them thinking. You know, it's like people who are married to a narcissist. Once they understand it, they know what to do and what not to do. You know, they acquiesce to their spouse a lot because they know that debating with them is never going to go anywhere. It's going to be, you know, it's like talking to a brick wall. They're never going to get anywhere. Now, once they're divorced and, you know, knock on wood, they have a good sound agreement. That's when they can stand up for themselves because they have the backing of a legally binding agreement that they can say to the narcissist, look, these are the things that you wanted. This is your agreement. I'm just honoring it. And then the narcissist doesn't have a lot of comeback to that because truly it is the agreement that they came up with and they decided upon in their head. So now they can't argue against something that they came up with because it makes them look bad. Exactly. And you signed and dated it. You went in front of a judge and swore under oath that you agree to everything that's in here and this is what you want. You can't then come back and say like, okay, like my notes, O'Brien, your notes are wrong. I didn't say that. Oh, okay. I know they weren't, but okay, let's go with that. (laughs) But not when they sign on the dotted line and date it and initial every page and are swearing in front of a judge, you just can't do it at that point. And now they're stuck with it.
0: So in our last couple of minutes, what are some strategies that someone can use to talk to their spouse about mediation in a way that might encourage them to work in that model?
1: That mediation keeps it out of court. That, you know, especially with a narcissist, you don't want to judge deciding things for you and your family you know that's the worst thing for a narcissist is someone else telling them what to do and they have to do it so you know it's that it's the money it's the time it's letting them be in charge and narcissists have the need to be in charge and that's what mediation is about is the clients are in charge and a narcissist will want that because they want to be in charge of everything so knowing that mediation is perfect for that because once it goes to the court, you know, you're know you not in charge
0: anymore. Someone else is governing your life. And narcissists and what about, just do not want that. And what about if it's the other way? The narcissist wants mediation. And for all the reasons that you're saying, he comes upon the mediation option and thinks, you know, this is perfect because then we can just do it my way. Is that something that the spouse should be worried about or is mediation a good option for her the way we've been discussing it? it's a good option as long as the agreements remain good for the kids and equitable for them.
1: You know, if it's, if it's my way or the highway and they start to refuse to budge or they want everything on their side, then someone like me will probably say, Hey guys, you know what? This isn't working. There's too many agreements going this way versus what's equitable or this is not in your children's best interest and I'll fire them. You know, I have no problem firing clients if they're not respecting you know, the process and they're not willing to get to a place of what's equitable.
0: And what's the role and, of and attorneys I, in that kind of mediation, you know, attorneys, consulting attorneys or review attorneys, do they, do they ever come into the mediation process to help create some, those? Sometimes boundaries? they do.
1: You know, if you get an attorney that is a type A, go for the juggler type, and then you get a narcissist for a client, that doesn't go well for mediation because they feed no. off each other. You know, you get you get an attorney that understands narcissists knows how to work with narcissists then the attorney is a huge plus to the process because they can help keep their client in line in ways that I can't as the neutral and and they have the same job I do making the client believe that everything is their everything is their decision and they're the ones that came up with it and we all have ways of doing that it's just you know, every narcissist, you know, they're the same a lot, but every narcissist is different. Some are easy. Some are very difficult. And it takes a lot of time. But the person who's married to the narcissist has to realize that, though it may take a lot of time in mediation, it's going to take a lot longer in litigation to get through a divorce with a narcissist. So much we're just willing to agree to everything that they want and cave to everything just to get divorced, which is not something I would ever recommend. But no, I don't me maybe, either. You know. <laughs> They just, they're like, I, I want to give them, I just, I want to get this done. I can't take it anymore. I just want to give them everything. And I say, I, I can't, I can't as a mediator allow that. I'll have to fire you. I can't work with you if you do that. I understand why you want to. I really do. But in the end, six months from now, you're going to hate what you did. It may seem good now because it's getting you divorced, but it's going to bite you in the end and it's going to be a problem for many years to come. And you really don't want that.
0: So, Brian James, just in the last seconds, you know, one of the things that you've mentioned many times is staying out of court and the benefits of staying out of court. And I just, just for the benefit of our listeners, what's your perspective on why it's a good idea to stay out of court if you're getting divorced? Because in in mediation,
1: you're in control of your divorce. You and your spouse make every single decision for your children and for you for many years to come. When you go to court and litigate, you're taking the control away from yourself, and you're putting it in the hands of someone who knows nothing about you. All they know is a little bit of information they hear from the attorneys or they read and report, and they're going to make decisions that are everlasting for you that, you know, it's a lose-lose, where in mediation, if you're negotiating and you're compromising, you're getting agreements that you feel are good, and those are going to last. Because you have that buy-in versus someone telling you what to do. No one likes to be told what to do. I don't like to be told what to do. Um, in mediation, <laughs> you're
0: deciding everything. All right. I think that's great, Brian James. Thank you so much for being our guest on Divorce Dialogues. It's been a pleasure to have you. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it.